Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Hey, uh, great to see you this morning. Excited you're here. Uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and uh, we're in the midst of a series right now. We just started about a week or two ago, or actually just last week, I guess, called The War, the story behind the story, which is a, a series on spiritual warfare. And if you're new here to Rocky Peak, we just want to welcome you. We're so excited that you're you're here every week. God is bringing people here for the very first time, uh, people that are hungry to just explore this whole Jesus thing, people that are hungry for a church that is serious about following him, and, and we're excited you're here. And inside of your um, weekend uh, program is a white message note sheet that will help you follow along. We use these every week as we go through our time of teaching, and so I encourage you to take that out, um, and then we're going to launch into... Um, our series. So by the way, I forgot to say, those of you who are new partners with us in the ministry today and you, you joined the church today, I hope you, I should have mentioned, but they're the banners at the sides uh, are the place we'd like you to sign your name to this company that committed and join the rest of us who've signed our names in the past. And so if you, if you didn't know to do that or whatever afterwards, the usher will have that little uh, Sharpie pen and you can sign up there. And for those of you who are, I had people come last night and say, well, how do we get in on this? We want to learn more about this. Uh, probably in February, we'll be doing our, our next partnership class. And so uh, we'll, we'll uh, keep you up to date on that. So let's pray together and then just go in this time. God, thank you for what you're doing at this church. Thank you what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for the way that you're calling to us from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, all different kinds of experiences. And you're bringing us to your son and you're setting us free and you're making us part of this movement, this worldwide movement that you're about, the, the kingdom of God. And so, God, we pray today as we continue this important series on spiritual warfare, how it works, uh, what the enemy's up to, that you'd give us wisdom and insight today from your spirit to ours. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're not sure exactly how it started. He was once a normal guy, lived in town like everyone else. But that was before the spirits came. And once they came, it changed everything. People in town didn't really know what to do with him. Over time, he started becoming abusive to himself and abusive to others. And so at first, they, they did their best to restrain him. And it worked for a while. But the more the spirits came and took up residence in his life, the more powerful he became. Finally, it came to a point where they couldn't hardly hold him down. In fact, even if they would put chains on him or iron fetters on his, on his legs, that when the spirits came, he would simply break loose and run free. And so now, driven by his demons, he lives on the outskirts of town. He lives up in the hills where the tombs are. He lives out in the place of the dead. He's gotten increasingly violent over time. It's dangerous to pass by the road into town now. You have to pick your times. Because if he's nearby, he will terrorize you. It's a scary thing. His life has gone downhill. He's... He now runs naked through the hills day and night. He, you can hear his screams when the spirits come. He cuts himself with rocks, and no one knows what to do. But that's all about to change, because on this day, the young rabbi is coming to town. He's taking a boat with his men. He's coming across the sea, and he's coming into this distant land, Gentile territory. And that day, he's going to land his boat his fisherman, with his fishermen buddies, and as they land on the shore and they look up and they see in the distance, they see this man with one of his friends. The moment their eyes lock, the spirits inside this man go crazy. 
And he begins to scream and he begins to yell and he begins to freak out. He begins running towards Jesus and his men. His men are not sure what to do. I mean, this guy has superhuman strength. The stories of him are legendary. He's naked, he's bleeding, and he's running full speed at them. They're bracing themselves. Jesus has gone into action right away. He's never seen a case this bad. He's never seen a man this possessed. And so right away, he begins to give the orders for the spirits to come out, but they're not going to go out today without a fight. And so they keep on running, and they're coming at full speed, and his men are bracing. They don't know if they're in for a rumble or what. And right when he gets there, he surprises them all, and he goes face down as if somehow he knows he's in the presence of a greater power. There in the dirt, the spirits began to speak, and they say to Jesus, why have you come? What are you here for? Have you come to torture us? Don't send us back to that place. Jesus is intrigued. It's the worst case he's ever seen. He wants to know more. And so he asks the spirits, what is your name? Whether they're exaggerating that day, whether they're trying to intimidate Jesus, we don't know. But what they said is, our name is Legion, for we are many. A legion was the largest unit of the Roman uh, army. 6,000 soldiers would make up a legion. And this man had a legion inside of him. They begged Jesus not to send him back to that place. And they asked permission to go into a herd of pigs, 2,000 of them, that were there on the hillside. For reasons that he never explained, Jesus said yes. And the moment they went into the pigs, the pigs went crazy. They started acting just like the man had acted. You wonder if your cat can be possessed. The answer is yes. <laughs> and they go crazy. And all of a sudden, like in a grade B movie, 2,000 pigs in a frenzy charge down the hill into the Sea of Galilee, and they drown themselves. Today we're continuing this series. We started last week <coughs> on spiritual warfare. We're calling it the war, the story behind the story. One thing is clear as you open the pages of the New Testament is that as far-fetched as it may seem to a modern mind, especially if you're new at all this, if this whole Jesus thing is new to you, as far-fetched as it may seem to many in our culture and our scientific Western world, that Jesus is very clear that the dark side is very real, that we're in a war, that it's a cosmic battle that's gone on since the beginning of time, that we have an enemy, that he's brilliant, He's strategic, he's powerful, and he's out to destroy us. And as you go into the New Testament, in this series, what we're doing is we're going behind the scenes every week to take a look at this unseen realm. How did this war get started? Who are the the key players? Who is this enemy? What is he after? What's his techniques? What's his tactics? What does it take for us to win? And if you were here last week, we started this series by, by going over the big picture, what I call the backstory, the story of the history, the, 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 the kind of the players and the plot of this, of this uh, spiritual war that's been going on since the beginning of time. 
I promised you last week that, that we would go into one aspect this week. Last week we saw that, that our enemy is out to destroy us, and I promised you this week we're going to go deeper into that. What is he after in your life and mine? And so today we're going to ask a, a very profound question. We ask the question, if Satan had his way in your life, what would it look like? Uh, another way to ask it is, if and when you follow his advice, where does it lead? Another way to ask it is, what are the stakes in this war that we're in? What are the stakes in your life? And the way we're going to go about it today is we're going to use this story of the, the demoniac. Later on, by the way, in your, next, your text, you don't turn the page yet, but later on it's going to say a, a, a demonic, three, three lessons from a demonic. It's not, it should be demoniac. But uh, anyway... We're going to ask the question, what can we learn from this case study? Admittedly, it's an extreme case. There's no question about it. But what I'd suggest is that if Satan had his way in your life, that's what it would look like. And that when we pursue him, that's the path that we go down. We, we may not get as far down the path, but the same, it's the same path, the same sort of dynamics. Now, before we do that, though, before we uh, talk about the lessons from this case study, I want to talk to you about this whole issue of demon possession for a little bit, all right? Because I think that as, as children of the modern world and our Western world here, that it's just natural for us to be skeptical at times. There's times, uh, especially if you're new at this, it's like, really, demon possession? I mean, isn't that something that kind of went out? I mean, isn't that something that we once believed? Isn't that something that, that we once believed was really true, but now we know through modern science and so on, that it's really just a form of mental illness. It's a form of chemical imbalance. And and I think there's no question that there have been times throughout history when things that have been blamed on demonic possession that really are mental illness or really are chemical imbalance. No question about that. But I think it's also clear that as you study church history, as you study third world cultures even today, that you will see that the phenomena of the dark side is very real and very active. And as you open the, 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 the stories of, say, like the New Testament, as you open, it becomes very clear, Jesus is very clear that there is a dark side. In fact, he says his, his power over the demonic realm, that is one of the proofs that he really was sent from God. In fact, there on your note sheet, <coughs> there's a verse where Jesus uh, we, uh, is casting out demons, and we saw this last week. But he says, if I drive, this is Matthew chapter 12, he says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, if that's what's really going on here, then the kingdom of God, this movement we talk about, this military assault on the dark planet, uh, the kingdom of God, the, the kingdom of God has come upon you. He, Jesus claimed that it was his power to cast out demons that was proof that he was sent from God and part of this supernatural Spirit of God movement. And so, and so it seems clear that there is something more than just a mental illness. And so, and that's interesting. We don't see it as much here in our culture. I, I think that the enemy has taken a totally different tactic in our culture. I think in our culture today, he, his tactic is to convince us that there really is no such thing as the unseen realm. And, and so there are some in our culture, you may be part of this, at a time in your life or whatever, you went into the occult or you went into the dark side. Uh, you would read your horoscopes or go to your fortune tellers or do your Ouija board things. And, and these are all, all like portals into the dark side. 
And, and, we're, and the Bible's very clear on this. Do not do this. You're, you're entering into a realm that's extremely dangerous. And so, but there are some in our culture that, that do uh, seek the dark side like that. But as a whole, our culture isn't into that. Our culture is more into denial, that we we're very skeptical about the dark side. And, yet, and so I think that the enemy has taken a different tack in our culture, and his tact is to convince us that he doesn't exist. And if he can convince us he doesn't exist, then there's a whole, he can, he can mani- manipulate our whole culture in a variety of ways, and more subtle and yet deep, just as deadly. And we'll be talking about that even uh, more next week. But, but in, and so in our culture, it's not true, but as you go to other third world countries, you talk to missionaries, you talk to anthropologists, you talk to churches in the third world. If you talk to, for example, our brothers and sisters that we're so involved with in Uganda, for example, the demon possession is just a reality of the way life is done in Africa, for example. And so um, uh, a, few, a few years ago, I read a fascinating book. And it was a book by an anthropologist. Uh, his name was Mark Andrew Ritchie. And what he did in his study is he went down and studied the, the uh, Yanomamo Indians. And they, they're a group of very primitive Indians, a very vengeful, violent culture that lives in the deep rainforests of southern Venezuela. And so he spent 13 years studying these Indians and, and, uh, and learning about their culture. And it was pretty fascinating stuff. And he wrote, he wrote a book called uh, The Spirit of the Rainforest. And it's on your, your note sheet. Uh, I always like to give you the books in case you want to pursue that. But anyway, um, but in the book, so fascinating, like he tells a story, for example, of a couple of their shamans. Now, their shamans are like their witch doctors. And, and this older shaman, his name is Jungleman in the book. Uh, that's his, how you translate his name, Jungleman. His younger protege, his apprentice, is a, a younger uh, shaman named um, Foot. What was it? Foot something. I'll come back to me. Anyway, uh, Blackfoot, Shortfoot, <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, shoe foot, there you go, shoe foot. No wonder I can't remember. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, and, and so it's, they, they share this story of how the older shaman initiates the younger shaman into the spirit world. And it was fascinating as I read this, how drugs would be involved and so on. But, but what they would do, basically, the older shaman would invite his spirits, the spirits that come and live in him, in his shabono, they called it, in his village, in his house, that in his body, he would invite his, his spirits to come and introduce themselves to this younger man. And then the younger man would choose and invite certain of these spirits to come and live in his shabono, to come and live in his house. And once inside, once inside, they became like friends. I mean, they, they each had their own personalities, their own names. For example, one of the, the very first uh, spirit that the older shaman had invited in his house was a spirit uh, called Charming. And she was a beautiful young woman, a beautiful young woman who never aged over his life. And she became his first friend in the spirit world. And there was other spirits that came to come in. And so this younger shaman invited some of these spirits in. And so then they would give them supernatural powers. For example, they could do sort of an astral project sort of thing where they, they would be able to travel in the spirit realm hundreds of miles away to spy on what was happening at other tribes, some of their enemies. They would have the ability to cast curses on some of their enemies and actually kill people. They would have the ability to, to heal in certain cases. The spirits would guide them to food as their tribe or, or protect them in a variety of ways. They saw their spirits as their friends, you see. And so in the course of this book then, 
uh, these older uh, jungleman and younger protege Shufet, they, they meet a, a white man. His name is Kaliwa. Kaliwa um, had grown up with the Yanomamo Indians from the age of six. His parents were missionaries, and because he'd grown up with these Yanomamos, they trusted him implicitly. He knew their language. He knew their customs. They, he'd grown up. They were buddies. And so they shared with him the secrets of the spirit world, of the unseen world that they discovered. And so, so then... Um, he would share with them the, the, the story of the great spirit, the true spirit who created all the world and who had sent his son to come to this earth to make a trail to the next life. And so, but they were very skeptical because they had similar traditions, but in their traditions, this great spirit was, who had created the world was actually the most evil of all spirits. And when their children would die, this spirit would come and, and take their spirits and eat the spirits of their children. And so they were afraid of this, this great spirit. And so they were very skeptical. But along the way, the younger protege, after several years of having his spirits inside of him, the spirits began to be abusive, and he wanted them to leave, and they would not leave. And so he called on the great spirit of the white man, and the, and the great spirit kicked out the spirits who were, that he had invited in. And so he shared this with the older man, jungle man, but jungle man didn't want to hear anything about it. His friends were his, the spirits were his friends. He was really ticked off. The younger Shimano had kicked out his friends from his Shibano. And so um, he, wasn't in, he wasn't interested. But at the end of his life, the spirits of the, that were inside jungle men began to attack him, to kill him. Now, the interesting thing was is they knew that this is what happened to the shaman. At the end of your life, your spirits would turn on you and kill you. Everyone knew that. But he couldn't believe that his spirits, these closest friends that had been with him all his life, that they would actually turn, even charming that she would turn. And so one day he's out fishing at the river. He comes back, and they begin to turn and begin to beat him. And, and I want to read you what he says, the story, the story. It's just fascinating because it reminds me of exactly the story that we were studying today, the start of the day, of this demoniac that we, we started. So here, here's a story in his own words. Whoops. Surprised as I was, there was nothing I could do. They were trying to kill me. Back at the Shabono, back at the village, my son and the other shaman could feel what was happening. So in the spirit realm, they could sense what was happening. They look at each other, and my son yelled, the spirits are killing father. They've already chopped him at the back of the neck. My wife screamed, get down there and help him. The whole village jumped up and ran out of the Shabono entrance and down the trail, but I was a long way off. And when I awoke, I was lying on the ground. My spirits pounded on my chest. I jumped up and I ran through the jungle like I have never run. I came to a clearing and I tripped and fell on the jungle floor. Again, they began to pound on my chest. My breath left me, but I felt no pain. I lay in the long grass and I watched one fist after another hit my chest with great force. But I couldn't feel a thing. Even though I knew all the world... Uh, even, even though I knew I should expect it, I just couldn't believe that my closest friends in all the world were doing this to me. Even Charming was with them. And then just before they killed me, a bright light came. It was so bright, I couldn't see anything. And there was something very warm like I'd never felt. A creature stood over me more dazzling than anyone could ever think. As soon as I felt him, I knew who he was. He was the one we have always called Yawana Nabalawa, the unfriendly spirit, the enemy spirit. 
He was the same one who has eaten the spirits of our children, the one we and all our spirits have hated, the one I have always been so afraid of in our village. He was the same spirit that my follower, Shufoot, had taken when he threw away the spirits I found for him. At those times, he had angered me with stories about the great spirit who became a man and made a trail to this land. I knew it was that spirit. I have never seen such a beautiful light. I lay on the ground in that cloud of brightness, and I saw my whole life, and I saw how completely tricked I had been. I remembered all the things my spirits had told me, and now suddenly, in this bright light, I saw they were all lies. Everything they had ever said was a lie, and such clever lies, too. All our revenge, our violence, every habit, our chest pounding, all of it was to make us unhappy. I had been used by my spirits for their pleasure. How tricked I was. I've run from this creature of beauty all my life, I thought. No wonder I have nothing. All of it happened in the snap of a bowstring. Yawana Naba Laiwa reached out and grabbed me. I felt so safe. That's why it doesn't hurt, I thought. He stood over me. He pulled me away from my spirits, and he said to me, don't worry, you'll be all right. I'm here to protect you. And then with a big voice, the spirit said to my spirits, leave him alone. He is mine. And they scampered in every direction like a herd of terrified hogs. And he was right. I was his. Isn't that amazing? And so we come today to the story of this ancient demoniac who had, however it happened, had spirits invade his life, had destroyed his life. And in his life, we have a picture of what would it look like if Satan had his way to the nth degree in your life. And so we want to look there as you're all flipping now. You're always you're getting so good at this. I want to look at this section there called What You'll Lose in Your Life If Satan Has His Way with Your Life. Three lessons should be from a demoniac. And, but before we jump in, I want to launch this section with a verse. And the verse is one of those famous verses in the New Testament. It's in the Gospel of John. So I'd like you to take your Bibles, turn there to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, and we'll look at verse 10. Jesus is speaking. (coughs) And he says in John 10.10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and they have it to the full. And so Jesus contrasts. He says, there is a thief. He's out there to kill, to steal your life, to destroy you. And then there's me. I have come to give you life. Two extremes. Now, in context, the thief he seems to be talking about here are the religious and spiritual leaders of the day that were leading the nation away for their own purposes. But as we've been learning in this series, that there's always the power behind the power, isn't there? 
And, and I think this is a beautiful, that, that's, I, I think it would be fair to say that Satan would be the ultimate thief. That he is the power behind the religious leaders of their day that were leading the nation astray. And so, so what we have here is Jesus says, you have a choice in life. You can either follow the thief or you can follow me. And the thief is always out to rip you off. He's come to steal. He wants to rip you off. He, he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. That's what he's about. I've come that you have my life. And so what we want to do today is we want to take this case study of this demoniac. I want to look at his life as an illustration, a metaphor, a picture of what would, what would happen if Satan had his way in your life. And what would it look like in your life if and when you choose to listen to him, what will Satan rip you off as the ultimate thief? What will you lose? And there's three things. So number one, the first thing that you will lose if you choose to follow his advice is you will lose your freedom. There'll be a loss of freedom. Okay, the first thing we lose is, is the loss of freedom. Now, this is so ironic because this is exactly what Satan promises us. When Satan comes and, and suggests that we follow a particular path, his promise is always that we'll lead to greater freedom. Why, don't let anyone tell you what to do. Don't let anyone push yourself uh, around. Be your own man. Be your own person. March to the beat of your own drummer. Just imagine how great life would be if you didn't let anyone tell you what to do. You're just true to yourself. Just go for it. It will lead to freedom. This is always his, his lie. Now, of course, the reality is, is that whenever we follow Satan, what happens to us is exactly what happened to the first man and the first woman, is we lose our freedom, that we, we become his slave, we become under his control. We, we lose that. And you see this so much in the story of the demoniac. Now, we don't know how his story begins. How did he become so full of this legion? We don't know. Uh, was it uh, uh, that did he at some point in his life invite the spirits in? You know, just like the, the shamans did. We don't know that. We don't know. But what we know is that the more that the spirits took over his life, the less control and freedom he had. It started off, he was living in town. He was like everyone else. But as the spirits gained power, people tried to control his life. They tried to help him out. But he became stronger and stronger until he, he was free in the devil's sense. He was free to run naked, screaming, bleeding through the hills. The, this is Satan's version of freedom, you see. And so what we know in our life is that when we choose to follow him, one thing you can bank on is that it will lead to the loss of freedom. It will lose to a loss of control in your life. You, your life will spin out of control. You can count on this. Now, now here's the trick, that this will not happen right away. This will happen progressively, just like it did with the man in the story. In other words, when Satan lies to us, he always mixes some truth in with the lie. That's why it's so effective. And so when he comes and he says that you will experience freedom, it's true. I was talking with a man last night who used to be involved in a motorcycle gang, and he's come to Jesus the last couple of years, and Jesus is totally freedom, and he's just a totally new guy. 
But he said, Mike, what you were saying tonight is so true. He said, I remember when I first joined that gang and the power I felt and the sense of freedom and I was becoming myself and now I was really somebody and I just felt so free. And he said, and then I just slowly lost my life one step at a time. And this is the way it always is, that when we follow Satan's advice, there was always be an initial sense of freedom. Whoa, the chains are off, the boundaries are off. But I'll tell you what, the end of that path is the loss of who you are, the loss of control. Now, sometimes this is really obvious to see. For example, let's just take a picture of a high school senior that they've done pretty well in high school. They've, they've been pretty much on their game. They stayed pretty much uh, out of a lot of trouble. Then they go to college, and, and all of a sudden, this new land of freedom. There's no rules and no restrictions, and there's a lot of new different things going on. And so they, they begin to experiment. They begin to experiment with pot. They begin to take some few drugs, take a few hits of this, maybe snort a little Coke. And, and they're feeling so free, and they're feeling like they are on top of the world. They have no one telling them what to do anymore. They are their own person. They are the epitome of freedom. And now you come back a couple years later, and they can't make it through the day without smoking a joint throughout the day. They can't make it through the day without that joint. You see, see, they started off so free, and now they become so bound. Think of the middle-aged man who insists on his right to watch whatever he wants, and so he can look at porn that's not doing any damage to anyone. It doesn't hurt anyone. Who are you to tell him? This is like a victimless crime. There is no problem here. And we fast forward the tape and down the road. Now, every night he gets up between maybe one, two, three hours at night. He's on his computer at night. He cannot go to sleep at night. His marriage is falling apart. And he can't let it go. And it started off, it felt so freeing. He felt so energized. But now, you see the end of the path. Now, in, in illustrations like I just gave you, it's pretty clear. You can see that path. Okay, it leads to that. But you know what? It, can I tell you something? It is true in every area of sin. Just more subtle. Let me give you some more subtle examples. The woman who begins to gossip at work, she, it's, she finds it so freeing. It, it leads her to relationship. People like her now. She, she's learned that if she has inside scoop on someone and can share it, that people, well, they want to hear that. And And she feels empowered and she feels free and she's loving this. And you fast forward the tape 10 years. And this woman now has no friend in her life because everyone has learned that whatever they share with her is shared to everyone else. And no one wants to be with her. And she is imprisoned in the bars of loneliness. You take the man who insists on his freedom to blow off a little steam at his family. I'm not hurting anyone. I'm just blowing off steam. I'm just giving full vent to my anger. I'm not hitting anyone. I'm not doing any damage. I'm just, there's nothing wrong with this. And then you wake up down the line and you find out that blowing off steam has not made him a less angry man. It's made him a more angry man. He's in bondage to that anger. You take a person who is hurt badly by someone in the past, and so they're not going to let anyone hurt them anymore. And the one thing they're for sure not going to do is they are not ever going to forgive that person for what they did. And they wake up one day and they are behind the bars of bitterness in their life. And they become a bitter person. Can I, can I tell you something? Sin always steals your freedom. Always. And something else, sin is addictive. And Satan knows this. And so he will come and he will promise you freedom, 
But mark my words, when we choose to follow his advice, just like so long ago the garden, you will end up with a loss of control in who you are made to be. There in your note sheet, a couple statements in the New Testament that are powerful statements about this dynamic. The first one is from 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, in 2 Peter, uh, Peter is warning this church he's writing to that there are false teachers that have come into their fellowship. And, and look what he says. He says, they, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. You see? So there will become people in your life and they promise you freedom. But the reality is, if you pursue that path, you will become a slave. That's the way it works. Look at the next passage, what Jesus says about this, John 8, 34. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, mark my words, <coughs> everyone who sins is a slave of sin. It's just the way it works. It's addictive. It doesn't lead to freedom. It leads to the loss of self-control. Look at the John next one, John 8, 31. If you hold to my teaching, Jesus has been teaching these people, they bought into him. He says, now listen, if you hold to my teaching, you follow my teaching, you, you obey my teaching, in other words, then you're really my disciples. See, there's only one way to test whether we're a true follower of Jesus. Are we following? He says, and then, so watch the prices. Okay, so I'm going to teach you. If you hold to my teaching, you follow my teaching, then at that point, then you will, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? It will set you free. And if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Okay? And so here are one of the great lessons of life that Jesus has come to set us free. Satan has come to steal your freedom. And it's up to us what we want to choose. You know, whose advice are you going to follow? Now, let me, let me give you a statement. It's a very powerful statement. You may want to write this down. Freedom. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. That's not what freedom, that's how our world defines freedom. Freedom is the ability to do whatever you want. That's not freedom. Here's what freedom is. Freedom is the ability to be who you're created to be. Freedom is the ability to be who you're created to be and do what you're created to do. In other words, if you follow Satan, I guarantee you, here's what you like, you will lose the capacity to fulfill your purpose in life. God created you in a purpose. He created you for freedom and life and joy, love and so on. He created you for that. And when you follow, if you do whatever you want in life, you will lose your ability to do what you were designed to do. This is the ultimate bondage, right? Okay, so that's number one. Number two, the second thing we'll lose if we follow Satan's advice is, well, the loss of relationships. A loss of relationships. Satan hates healthy relationships. He hates them. Now, this makes sense if you stop and think about it because what's most important to God in all of life? relationships. Jesus was once asked, what is, what's the most important commandment in all the Old Testament? He was like, oh, it's simple. Love God, all your heart. Oh, by the way, here's number two. Love one another. God's all into relationships, healthy relationships with himself and with one another. And so it only makes sense that Satan hates healthy relationships. He loves it when divorces happen. He loves it when friendships have a fight and tear up. He loves it when churches split. 
He loves it when racism rules. He loves it when nations go to war. He loves it when child abuse is on the uprise. He loves the destruction of relationships, of healthy relationships. That's who he is. Now, we saw this in our last series, The Marriage Matrix. Let me take you back there just a second. Remember what we learned? So, so the first man, first woman, they're created. They have the perfect relationship. They're connected. They're loving one another. They trust one another. They're, they're partnering in life. It's going great. And then they follow Satan's advice. And remember, the instant reaction was the destruction of the relationship. And the first time in their marriage, we've come to experience what we think is normal in marriage. (laughs) Conflict, attack, defense, rationalization, you see? The moment they followed Satan's advice, their relationship fell apart. And you know what? When they had kids, it got even worse. Have you ever seen this true? Is it? Someone has a bad marriage, and they think, well, let's have kids. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> really? Have you ever seen kids? <laughs> and they look amazing up here, right? If we could just keep them up here. You know? Can you just go to church today, stand on that riser? You look so cute. <laughs> You're amazing. So they have kids. They have a couple kids. One day their kids grow up. Talk about sibling rivalry. Cain invites his brother. Hey, you want to go in the field for a, a walk? Yeah, sure. What do you want? I just want to talk. Goes out there. He kills him. And you're like, really? I, I, why? Who, who put that in his mind? Where did he get that idea to kill his brother? Whoever, he just said, who, who put that in your mind, son, to think that was a good idea? You know? Well, the Bible tells us, the New Testament is really clear, Satan put it in his mind. In fact, there in your note sheet, look what it says, 1 John 3, 12. The apostle John's talking about how we're to do relationships now as we're following Jesus. And he says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one. Underline that. He belonged to the evil one. And he murdered his brother. Where did he get the idea to kill? Where did that come from? It came from Satan. See, Satan hates relationships. He hates healthy relationships. And here's what I can promise you. If you follow his advice in your life, you will ruin your relationships. Just take it to the bank. You know, I'm so ticked off at my wife. What should I do? Say, here's what you do. Great, I'll do that. Ruin your relationship. You know, these employees at work, this is what I want to do to them. You do it, ruin your relationship. You see, whenever we follow his advice, in the relational realm, it will always lead to the destruction of relationship. Now, you see this in this case study we started the day with. What happens in a man's life when, when Satan is in full control? I'll tell you what happens. He can't live with people anymore. He can't live in town anymore. No one can control him. He becomes uncontrollable. He becomes a damaging to all, everyone around him. He destroys everything he touches. And what happens over time is he ends up living by himself out in the graves in the place of death, unable to have human relationship, the epitome of loneliness. Can I tell you something? If you follow his advice, that's exactly the road you're on. Now, how far down that road you get will be up to you. But that's the road you're on when we listen to that. Okay, let's contrast that. Now, when Jesus comes in the picture, let's go back to that story we started the day with. So Jesus casts out 
the demons. They go into the pigs. They go down. They drown themselves. The, the herders of the pigs go into town to get everyone. In the meantime, Jesus goes to his men. Now, his men, apparently, this guy's naked. He's bleeding. He's crumpled up there. The spirits are gone now. He's got to be just, you know, the life's gone out of him. And, and so they pick him up. They clean him up. They start loving on him. They find some clothes. They put him in clothes. This guy has not had a relationship in years. We don't know how many years, but he's, really, he's been alone in the hills, and he begins soaking up. It feels so good to be loved and to love. And the one thing he asks of Jesus, you know how Jesus always asks him, come and follow me. No, i got to go bury my father. Okay, we'll let the dead bury the dead then, whatever. You know, no, the one thing that this guy wants to do, Jesus, can I come with you? Man, I love being here. I love your men. I, I love being part of this team. Would it be okay? I, could I just leave everything? Could I just come with you? I just want to be with you. You see, this man who once lived in the hills, he, he wants to move back into relationship. Now, interesting, here's what Jesus says. Jesus, no, you can't. Now, this doesn't happen very often. Jesus, you know, can I come with you? No. Oh, please, can I please? No. Why not? Because you need to go back to your family. You, know, you haven't seen them in years. They're heartbroken. You, know, you, know, you need to go back to this town that you've terrorized. You, you need to go back. You need to tell them what God's done for your life. Can you imagine that day when the man who's been the terror of the city comes walking down Main Street and everyone's looking and everyone's pointing and look at him. He looks pretty normal. And What do you think? And and he went back to reconnect with his family. And he went re- back to reconnect with his town. And then after that, he was so excited about what Jesus did, he started making a, a tour. This is a little rock star tour. Crazy man tour. Come see crazy man. One seal. And he went to the ten towns in the area. It's called the, the area of the Decapolis. Very Gentile area. He's like ancient Greek ruins. We've been to, I've been to one of those towns. And he went through these 10 major cities and began to share this story. This is what Jesus does. Jesus takes broken lives, he heals them, and he sends us back into relationship. The enemy will destroy relationships. Jesus heals relationships. You know one of the things I'm most excited about here at Rocky Peak? As people are coming, as God's moving in this body, as he's healing you, that your relationships are being transformed. Earlier this fall, we were finishing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, the message of the movement. One of those weeks, I gave an opportunity for people to give their lives to Jesus. One man signed his card. Well, many men signed the card. This, this one's the story. Yeah, this, one, this one man signed his card. And he, he came to Christ. Someone had invited him here to Rocky Peak. He didn't have a church background. He invited him to Rocky Peak, and, and he came, and God met him. And he gave his life to Christ that day. And then he began writing every week on his prayer request. Would you pray for my family? We're separated. I've come to Christ and we've been separated from my, my wife, my daughter. Would you pray for us? A couple weeks ago, the peak prayers were in the baptismal font. We baptized 18 people that night. And this one man comes in and I baptize him. And he introduces me to his wife. First time I've ever met her. She wants to be baptized too. We're back together. That's what Jesus does. He, see, Jesus heals us up and he sends us back into relationships because God is all about relationships. But can I tell you something? When you listen to Satan, he will destroy 
your relationships. It's just a fact of life. Number three. Let me say this one more thing before we go on there. Number three. I mean, before we let uh, so, so I just want to be really clear here. Let me just spell it out. So if you follow Satan's advice on how to date, it will destroy your dating relationship. <laughs> if you follow Satan's advice about sex, it will destroy your life. If you follow Satan's advice about how to do a marriage or how to raise kids or how to run a business or how to relate to the community or how to coach a team, it will destroy your relationship. See, that's what saying. Okay, Number three. The third thing you can count on if you follow Satan's advice is a loss of peace. He will rob you of your peace. He's the great thief. Let's go back to our case study. So is there a worse picture of chaos in this demoniac's life? I mean, really. The guy is naked, running through the hills, screaming night and day, the Bible says cutting himself with stones, terrorizing the nation. Is This man is a tortured soul. This man has a, a storm, a raging storm inside of him. And so Jesus casts the demons out. They go into the pigs. They go down the hill. The, the herders go back into town. They bring the town back. And the Bible says that when they came back to, the, the, to, to where to see the man, they see this raging lunatic, and they see him clothed and sitting at the feet of Jesus, in his right mind, he's a picture of perfect peace. Can I tell you something? If you follow Satan's advice, it will rob you of your peace. You may know pleasure. You may know power. But you will never know peace. Is there's only one. And you know what? It's because of our lack of peace in our life that Satan can distract us because here is Satan's counterfeit. You know what? Satan's counterfeit to peace is distraction. That's counterfeit. That's why people light up and smoke the joint. That's why we pop the pills. That's why we drink to excess, to get the buzz. That's why we throw ourselves into our career. We've got to make it to the top. That's why we're, we're obsessively buying stuff all the time. Got to have this, got to have that. You see, there's a hunger for peace inside of us, and we're looking for something that can quench it. And we think if we could just have this experience or just get this thing or just achieve this position, we'll have peace. It's a lie. There is no peace for the wicked, the Bible says. If we are following Satan's advice, there is no peace. But when Jesus comes, there's, it's no accident that one of his names is the Prince of Peace. <laughs> you see, he brings peace. And there's a peace that Jesus brings that nothing else in life can duplicate. It's not a peace that's the absence of storms. It's peace in the midst of the storm. In the last night... Jesus is with his disciples before he's arrested, and it's a, one of the worst nights of their life. They're freaking out. Their leader's about to get arrested. Their world's falling apart. Everything they'd hoped and dreamed for is about to go up in smoke. And here's what Jesus says there in your note sheet. He says, peace I leave with you. It's my gift. My peace I give you. 
I don't give you as the world gives, the distraction version. No, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You know, earlier in the day, we, we talked about the shaman, jungleman who came to Christ. The spirits were trying to beat him up. God came to protect him, said he's mine, cast out the spirits. That night he went to bed, he laid in his hammock. Here's what he said. That night I lay in my hammock and for the first time in my life, there were no spirits coming to me, wanting to chant and dance and talk. I'd, I'd always thought I could never live without them. But as I lay in my hammock, I felt so happy to hear the sound of quiet. And not only happy, but so peaceful and so secure. There's no more noisy crowding or darkness in my shibono. I wondered if it could be all this happiness, peace, and quiet that my spirits had been so afraid of when they always begged me not to throw them away. The spirits will bring a lot of things to our lives, but peace is not one of them. That's something only Jesus brings. And so what does it look like? Jesus stands at the foot of our lives and he says, all right, let me tell you a simple story. There is a thief and there's me. And the thief is out to steal and rip you off. He's out to destroy and kill you. That's his goal. He's out to turn you into the, his, a lesser version of that demoniac. I have come that you might have life. It's your choice. But mark my words, if you follow the advice of the evil one, you'll lose. You're going to lose your freedom. You're going to lose your relationships. You're going to lose your peace, you see. And that's the stakes in this war that we're in. That's what's at stake in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this teaching about the stakes and, and what it looks like and what it's all about, what Satan's after. And, and Lord, is your church, the church of Jesus Christ here at Rocky Peak, God, we want to follow you. We want to experience the freedom, the peace, the relationships that you came to give us. Now, I want to, as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I want to talk to those of you who are here today that you've never given your life to Jesus. But as I've been talking, man, you can relate to what I've been saying. You know exactly what I've talked about. You've seen that loss of freedom. You've seen that loss of relationship. You've seen that loss of peace, and you're sick of it. And you want someone to come and take over your life, and you want Jesus to bring his freedom and his relationships and his peace. I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to pray a simple prayer right now. If this expresses a desire of your heart, then God will hear you, and Jesus will come in, and he will do for you what he did for that shaman. He will bring his peace. And so if you just pray along in your mind with me, dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I want to become your follower I ask you to lead me in the path of freedom. I ask you to restore my relationships. I ask you to bring me your peace. I surrender to your leadership. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and to make me one of your children. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, I want to talk to you. If you just prayed that prayer, I would love to pray with you this week. Our team pray with you. And what I'd like to ask is in a couple minutes when we take the offering, if you would simply write on your registration card that's inside your program that I asked Jesus into my life or I gave my life to Christ, I'll know exactly what you mean. And we will pray for you this week and I will send you a letter of some next steps in this new life that you've just started.
So Lord, we come to you now as, our, as your people and we submit to your leadership and we thank you. We thank you for the freedom you died to give us. We pray in your name. Amen. Our cold and ruthless enemy is out to do us harm and rise up, O oh God. I think it's something we have to just keep reminding ourselves of throughout this series. We're focusing on the enemy who's brilliant, powerful, strategic. And yet greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Amen? And that we are on the winning side. We are on the winning side. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And, and remember, you remember what Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not stand against this movement I'm launching. It's called my church, the church of Jesus Christ. I hope you can join us next week. We've taken a couple weeks. We've looked at the backstory. We've looked at the stakes in this battle that we're in. And, and now we're, ne- we're going to begin to move into the strategy, the enemy's strategy. We're going to spend a couple weeks on that. The first week we're going to talk about spiritual warfare at the highest level. It's the level of ideas. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about spiritual warfare at a tactical level, the area of temptation the lies that he uses to destroy us. And so I hope you can continue to join us. And if you're out of town next weekend for Thanksgiving, I encourage you to pick up a CD or download the message from our website. Stay up with us as we go through. You don't want to miss this message next week as we talk about spiritual warfare at the very highest level and one that we're often the least aware of, especially in this Western culture, one of the most important areas. I want to leave you today with a final word from the Apostle Paul. It comes from the Rome book of Romans, the 16th chapter, as he signs off his letter to this early and ancient church. And he says to them, may this week, may you be wise in what is good, and may you be innocent in what is evil. Because the promise is that God will soon come and crush Satan under your feet. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God be with you this week. Amen. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.